Welcome to Restaurant Influencers presented by Entrepreneur. My name is Sean Walchef, founder of Cali Barbecue and Cali Barbecue Media. In life, in the restaurant business, and in the new creator economy, we learn through lessons and stories. We're very grateful for Toast, the primary sponsor of this show, our primary technology partner at all of our restaurants and so many of the guests that we have on this show for believing in this show, believing in the power of storytelling and giving us the opportunity to have today's conversation. Today's conversation is with the CEO and co-founder of Salt and Straw. It is Kim Malik. Kim, welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me. I am so, so excited to have you on the show. I, I told you before the interview started that I, I learned about your brand. I didn't want to spoil it because I wanted everyone to understand the power of storytelling. And um, we have one of the great masters uh, on the show today. And today, so I, I came to know about Salt and Straw because I was in Little Italy and I was in Little Italy with my wife. Um, we were out, I believe, at probably at Sam the Cooking Guy, one of the guests that we have on the show. Um, he has restaurants in Little Italy. And I think we were out there for one of his uh, his openings or his events. And I remember looking across the street and seeing this huge, unbelievable line of people. I could not understand if either Taylor Swift was in town, if Michael Jordan was in town, if Tom Brady was in town, somebody was in town and something was happening or Oprah was giving away cars, but something was happening. And I was like, what's happening? We walk down the street and we look across the street to this line in front of Salt and Straw. That was my first introduction to the power of storytelling, the power of your brand. And I couldn't be more excited to have you on the show to talk about all of the growth, to talk about your background, but to talk about so much of what we talk about on this show is allowing the hospitality business to think bigger than. We are bigger than just the village that we take care of. And because of the internet, because of TikTok and Instagram and YouTube and e-commerce, we can get our products and our story out to so many more people. And what you've done with your brand, um, it's super exciting. I can't wait to dig into it. And I'm going to start us off with our favorite random question, which is where in the world is your favorite stadium, stage, or venue? This is a great question. Um, I'm gonna have to go with, uh, I, I like seeing the Sounders play and the don't, I'm gonna get heckled out of town here in Portland. <laughs> I love my timbers, but um, I love seeing the Sounders play in Seattle because it looks out over the ocean and it's so beautiful. Um, Perfect. I'm a big soccer fan. So okay, so the Sounders, how many do they play in front of, do you know? No, um, I have no idea. So That's it's a probably question. probably tens of thousands. We'll we'll go with like twenty thousand. But we're gonna keep it small and intimate. We're gonna go to the Sounders Arena and we are going to rent it out and we're gonna put on a TED type TED type talk where it's a hospitality conference. So many of the hospitality conferences, restaurant conferences that we go to. Um, they're a little bit stagnant. And what we like to do is talk, really lean into lessons and stories. So much yeah. of life that we've learned is by sharing our failures um, in business, by sharing all the failures of as a barbecue brand, as a restaurant brand, the things that we've done wrong um, is where people tr truly, truly learn. I mean, the one of the inspirations of becoming a media company and a podcast company was understanding that when I was in business school, they weren't teaching the business classes that I wanted. It wasn't really resonating the things that I wanted real stories 
And the way that we have this show is to allow people to give their story. So I'm going to put you Sounders Arena. I'm going to put the mic in front of you. 20,000 raving hospitality fans. We're going to get entrepreneur. We're going to get toast. We're going to get these sponsors to believe in this programming. And I'm going to give you two minutes to tell us the the, the Kim Malik Salt and Straw story. A two minute Aww. elevator pitch, please. <laughs> Oh my gosh, two minutes. Well, it's sort of apropos. I didn't, I didn't know this was going to be the question when you, when you asked me where. Um, uh, it's sort of apropos because literally just up the street from that stadium, I started my career in hospitality, which was uh, at Starbucks Coffee when there were thirty stores. So it was a tiny wow. company. I started there, and um, I was working as a barista. Graduated from college and um, started working in the marketing department as we, Amazing. you know open new stores and new markets and tried to get this thing off the ground. And um, I think the the two things that really had the biggest impact on me during that time, and remember I was in my early twenties, um, I had dreams of changing the world and being a politician or going to into the Peace Corps. And um, through this job, the thing I realized is that business can be such a force for good. And, you know, back in the day, Starbucks was one of the first companies to offer health insurance to part-time, you know, team members. I remember I was a barista and I had stock options, you know, I, wow. so I, I, I uh, and, and just that level of respect that, you know, I felt as a frontline team member there um, and, and partner was, was transformative to me in the way that that can, again, transform lives and have this ripple effect. Um, and then I think similarly to that, as we started to grow the company, what I loved was that, you know, now they, they talk about the third place, but yeah. that idea that community, bringing community together and running into, you know, people you know from the neighborhood, um, getting to know people locally um, on a one-by-one -one basis, that's what that meant to me. And I loved it. Um, and, and so just seeing the power of business to, to turn that on in a community and, and to make a difference in people's lives, uh, it, it kind of gave me that entrepreneurial bug that I never got rid of. And how did that lead you bring us, bring us to the idea? Cause this is show is for entrepreneur. We're grateful that we have a platform that reaches millions of people. You know, we all, we all have these dreams of being entrepreneurs until we get to the ledge. And then there's a ledge that you have to look out over and you realize I'm no longer working for Starbucks. I'm no longer with that, that corporate brand blanket. Now I'm, I'm going all in and it's not on your own because you, you had a co-founder, but bring us to the edge. Yeah, that entrepreneurial well, so cliff. I came to the edge a couple of times. So I, I was actually living in Portland, Oregon in the mid nineties. And, um, I could, for some reason, just see that an ice cream shop, like a local ice cream shop could have that same sort of feel where you would run into your neighbors and spend time with friends and family and collaborate, you know, on a local basis. And um, so I worked on a business plan and started, you know, looking for real estate and, and starting to pull the pieces together on this dream. And, um, you know, my dad had actually gone bankrupt when I was in college running his own small business. And so this idea was pretty terrifying to me, wow. <laughs> big negative impact on the family, as you can imagine. So sure. um, I stood there at the cliff, as you just described and decided maybe not now, and I <laughs> maybe not yet. I walked away and that was in 96. Um, so I, I carried this dream around me with me until I was able to move back to Portland in 2008. And um, 
things just sort of aligned at that moment. I still had my business plan. I was still thinking about it. Um, funny enough, the front page of the New York magazine um, the year I moved back was a story about Humphrey Slocum opening ice cream shops in San Francisco. Really? And you know how you have that moment, everyone's had it, where you shake your fists at the heavens and you're like, I had that idea. <laughs> back in 1996 and I never did it. And I'm just, you know, I could just die. And I remember my partner, Mike sat across the table from me and he said, well, you should, you should do it. You know, you're still living this dream. It's in the back of your head and you should, you should do it. And so I stepped back up to that cliff. Um, and, uh, this time took, I, I took the leap. Um, and again, it was really just based on this passion of creating community gathering places and, and featuring community through our ice cream. And that, that was the dream and the vision that I had with, with opening the, this one shop in Portland. So bring us to opening that one shop. You know, it's, it's something, it's one thing to jump off the cliff. It's another thing to, to realize that, I mean, we talk about it all the time, opening up a restaurant, it, it takes a marathon to open it. And then once you open it, you realize the marathon hasn't even started. <laughs> You're like, we haven't even started the race yet. <laughs> Well, it was it was um, curious timing because it was 2008, which um, I'm sure many people can remember was sort of the height of height of the Great Recession. Yep. And um, I didn't have any money or funding, and for some reason, I thought for sure a bank would give me a loan for an ice cream shop in Portland, Oregon, in 2008. And I proceeded with my little business plan and met with all these people, and I got a really good plan together. Like they gave me all this important feedback, but no one would give me any money. Yeah. And so I remember sitting in my little home office one day looking for something in my file cabinet and I saw this file that said 401k. And, you know, here I'd been working in Fortune 500 companies my whole career and I thought, okay, I do have access to a, a little bit of money that could get this off the ground. And so I did what they say you should never do and I don't advise this to anyone, but I went and cashed it in, sold my house, wow. got a garage sale and got that one store open. Um, no way. It was a big leap, big leap, all in. I remember just before we um, were about to open, we were like $40,000 short. And my new boyfriend, who I'm still with to this day, um, had to put his house up for collateral to get a $40,000 loan to just put us across the edge. So we were kind of like, all in on this idea um, of this one ice cream shop. And my cousin had moved um, to Portland to help me get it started and was making the ice cream. And, um, and we got open, which was incredible. Um, and the day we opened the shop, I actually wasn't there because I was so convinced no one would come that I catered a wedding. <laughs> so no. I was catering a wedding and a bunch of my friends had come to town for the opening and they called me partway through the day and they were like you better get back here because it's really busy <laughs> a lot of people are here you weren't even at your opening because <laughs> <laughs> i figured we're gonna need to cover rent i'll at least get a little oh money oh my goodness <laughs> that is amazing but thank you so much for your honesty and for sharing, because if you look from the outside, if you go on your social, if you go on your website, if you read all the reviews, all the people that are just raving about your brand, you don't realize the dark times and you don't realize that entrepreneurial cliff and the things that we do to keep our dreams alive, you know, and to keep the dream alive 
it's so important, especially when you're talking about tough times, because we opened our business in 2008 and we were told that we were crazy. We picked a terrible location. And some of the greatest strength is that perseverance, is that understanding that no matter what, we are going to figure out a way to move our idea forward and to stay in business. First of all, to get into business, but then to stay in business. That's right. It's funny. I remember a reporter interviewing me right after we opened and he said, why would you do this? Why would you do this? <laughs> and I remember him asking me that. And that was the first moment when I realized, oh shit, this maybe wasn't a good idea. <laughs> Tell, bring it, bring me to the, to the name, the brand, the name, yeah. Salt and Straw. Salt and Straw. Um, my sister-in-law actually helped me come up with the name. So it's a nod to the way that they would make ice cream at the turn of the century. Um, and you can fact check me. They, they, on the tour of Monticello, they tell this story, but they would um, pack uh, rock salt in the ice when they were churning it by hand um, to make it freeze. And then um, once they had frozen ice cream, they would pack it on straw or hay to keep it cold because there was no refrigeration. So salt and straw is just a nod to, you know, handmade ice cream because we're, we're very handmade <laughs> in, the, in the way we make ice cream uh, in a way that no, nobody else really does. So, um, so that's where the name comes from. And the branding, we wanted it to, you know, if you go into our shops or if you look at our brand, we wanted it to kind of evoke this feeling of a mercantile because I, I just had this idea that, you know, it'd be a little bit like, you know, when, when you go into the, the mercantile on Little House on the Prairie <laughs> and they would run into all their, you know, like local yeah. folks that they know, you might run into the guy who picked the strawberries you're going to eat. And so just, again, kind of that, that, that modern day mercantile and that community feel. I would love for you to talk more about the limited, limited offerings and the collaborations, because it's something that is, it's so difficult to do, but if you do it the right way, if you do it with intention, and if you do it with the way to celebrate the story, you can really get some exponential marketing and community out of it. Can you, yeah. can you br br bring me into the idea behind just break down how do you guys do your, your ice cream and then how do you add the, these limited menu offerings? Yeah, well, it's so fun to talk to you about this. Um, I've always wanted to talk to you about this because I follow you and I, I feel like we're kind of kindred spirits when it comes to this <laughs> way of thinking. Um, uh, I, it, interestingly enough, um, when my cousin moved to Portland to help me get this company started, he did not know how to make ice cream. Um, he had been selling used cars and he got fired because he was too nice. Oh, and, um, <laughs> too nice of a used car. That, that, what, a, what an irony, right? <laughs> he's just the nicest guy too. When you meet him, you'll love him. But anyway, he was cooking um, for his family to help sort of ease the pain because um, someone in, in the family had died. And he realized during that time, like, I really love to cook and I want to I want to go to culinary school. And so um, in the meantime, I was starting Salt and Straw and he moved here and um, and wanted to make ice cream. I said, well, Tyler, I think we need someone who knows how to make ice cream. <laughs> uh, but he would not give up. And, uh, you know, he had an ice cream maker from the Goodwill. He was living in our basement. And, you know, very shortly um, into our time together, we realized how talented he was. Um, spoiler alert, he won, I think, two years later, Forbes 30 under 30 for changing the way America eats. Um, no so he's, 
very talented, very talented. But um, anyway, he's uh, come on board and the two of us are trying to get things off the ground. And um, when it was time to make a chocolate ice cream, um, we went out to meet with Charlie who owns Woodblock Chocolate and Charlie does own a chocolate factory. It's crazy. And, um, <laughs> and we would talk to him like, how can we make a chocolate ice cream and will you help us? Cause we didn't know what we were doing. And the same thing with Mark Bitterman who owns a salt company in town when we were making our sea salt ice cream. Um, you know, the same thing when we were making our you know, strawberry ice cream when we were making um, a candied bacon, we were with Olympia Provisions. So it was kind of born out of this um, fact that we didn't know what we were doing. And so we reached out to the community to help us. And oh my gosh, did they respond and show up? I mean, we didn't even have a company, a brand, we had nothing. And every person just was so generous with their time to help collaborate on what the flavor should be and how to represent their art yes. in our ice cream. And so, that really gave birth to this idea that not only could we create these beautiful community gathering places through our physical location and the experience that we offered with our team, but it could also um, be reflected in our product. And um, gosh, as we started to get going, um, it just, it was sort of an embarrassment of riches in terms of all these collaborations and, and people that came forth that we wanted to work with. And it ended up resulting in um, I guess kind of using ice cream as a platform for storytelling. And yeah. um, it wasn't necessarily the intention when we started, but it became so central to everything that we were. When we opened in Los Angeles was the second market we opened in outside of Portland. And, you know, we could have just made our same flavors in Portland and shipped them to LA, but um, instead we, we started to work with local folks in Los Angeles to create our own flavors that were reflective of that community and um, sort of exporting that idea instead. And um, it was incredible, the response we got there and people would always say, well, you know, it's not gonna be the same in LA because it's not like Portland. And it's not, but they showed up just as generously um, you know, with collaborations and ideas. And then the fun thing was like, then they started working together on collaborations themselves. And it was, you know, it was just really fun. Like I remember Comparte's chocolate and sidecar donuts did a collaboration and they had met through both making ice cream flavors with us. And this idea that like one plus one equals 11 is, is it's, I think it's just so much more fun. And now a quick break from restaurant influencers to share an exciting new offer from our sponsor, Atmosphere TV. Go to atmosphere.tv forward slash BBQ to not only get Atmosphere TV for free, but also our audience is given the gift of $200 in ad credits, as well as free activation. Join more than 40,000 other venues who use Atmosphere TV by signing up with the code BBQ at atmosphere.tv forward slash BBQ. Keep guests entertained with Atmosphere TV because you have the ability to turn your promotions and your advertisements onto your television with this platform. The simple plug and play device lets you take control of the content on your screens. Keep guests entertained, engaged, and informed of real-time specials, career opportunities, and announcements that you can personalize within your own custom content dashboard. Tap into great channels such as America's Funniest Home Videos, Fashion, Throttle, Chive TV, 
sports highlights, Red Bull, Real Madrid, along with unbiased news and entertainment. There is something for everyone. Over 60 curated channels of short form, entertaining content to choose from right at your fingertips. They also have an incredible ad supported network that allows you to not only market within your four walls, but also locally or nationally if you desire. The platform gives you full control to dial in your marketing efforts. Please go and visit atmosphere.tv slash BBQ and let them know restaurant influencers sent you. Well, I love that. And I love the fact because it, it's difficult to do when you think about when I think about our business and being in the restaurant business, one of the, the the toughest lessons that we learned was just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. So how do you make something consistently at the top quality when you're talking about the craft of ice cream or the craft of barbecue or the craft of whatever you're making? If it's an alcoholic drink, if it's a burger, whatever your craft is. If you do less, you can focus and make a better craft. But if you're willing to do what most people are unwilling to do and to lean into curiosity and to ask for help, now all of a sudden you get this hyper-local, magical collaboration where people want to help, but people also give you other resources that you didn't even know that you had. Can you, exactly. can you talk about the kind of when you look now and thinking that you've done collaborations with The Rock, I mean, how how is it possible that you're the ice cream store that started, you sold everything to open up your ice cream shop and you're like, are we seriously doing a collaboration with The Rock? <laughs> it is. It is pretty <laughs> mind blowing. I mean, I, and and I don't tell him this, but that's not even our favorite collaboration. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm beyond honored um but you know well, I tell think, us about your favorite ones i would well, love I think, to hear and, and i will talk about the one with the rock because um it's it is my biggest honor for sure i mean he um you won't believe this but it's true story we we connected over storytelling so you know that he, he and his um business manager danny garcia um we were introduced through a common friends and um, we started to get to know each other. And I think we had like a 45 minute meeting that turned into three hours. We missed our flight and they had a huge room full of people. Um, and we just got, so we were geeking out over storytelling. Cause you know, obviously that's what they do. They make movies, yes. they're storytellers and they couldn't believe the synergies between what we were doing and, and how we were approaching making ice cream. And so that's where the relationship started. And um, he has this alter ego <laughs> uh, during Christmas uh, called Duanta Claus. And so it just seemed like the perfect time to do, um, you know, a couple of flavors together to celebrate Christmas in a new way and sort of turn this idea of, you know, consumerism on its head a little bit and use that to give back. And um, I, I will say, I mean, gosh, you know, there are calls for him to run for president. He's pretty dang powerful. And um, people never believe me, but it's true story. He is involved in every detail of those flavors and is so generous with his time um, and, and, and Danny Garcia and their company's time in terms of really partnering with Salt and Straw in a way that is so true. Um, and I think that's why it's so special. You know, it's not a lend your name to this or a financial transaction. Um, it's, a, it's a really true close relationship. Um, 
and I wouldn't have it any other way. It means a lot. I'd love for you to talk about the pillars of of a collaboration because collaboration it's one of those words i mean we use influence the show is called restaurant influencers and it has a there's a negative connotation but then there's the connotation which we every person is an influencer if you are a human and you have a voice you have a story and you have influence yeah so that is powerful but for you when we talk about collaboration there's a lot of misinterpretations of what a collaboration is and what it can be, but you guys have done it right. What are the fundamentals that you stick to when you choose a collaboration? Mm -hmm. So we think about our collaborations. I mean, one of our guiding principles, um, Tyler and I sit down um, once a year and we think about kind of what's the year going to be about for us and, you know, what um, topics do we think are important to shine a light on and, and, um, and, and where do we want to just introduce some fun <laughs> into the world? And, uh, so an example of sort of places we want to shine a light on, um, it, we're, we're going to be returning this menu this year, but, um, one of my favorites is a series of ice creams that are made from, um, food waste. So items that were going to be thrown away. No way. Um, and we're turning them into ice cream. And the reason it's so important is that we throw away 40% of our food in the United States, but our neighbors around us are going hungry. So we, we have enough to feed everybody if we could get our arms around, you know, how to, how to prevent even a little bit of that waste. And so through an ice cream menu, we can kind of show the beautiful things we can do with this food instead of throwing it away and, and to feed each other. And, and we collaborate with five different organizations who are doing that in different cities around the United States. And so people on a local level can learn about these organizations, how they can get involved, what they can do in their lives. Um, so that would be just an example of just using ice cream to and it's so disarming, you know, you come in and have a bite of ice cream, it's fun. And oh my gosh, I get to learn about this important issue, you know, on, on, a, on a local basis. Um, another example, during um, Halloween, we do these collaborations with different folks um, uh, of the season. And my favorite collaboration of all is with um, a woman who is a first generation immigrant and brought the craft of um, uh, harvesting bugs. Um, so it's the first in the United States, the first edible bug farm. It's wow. in Northern California. And we partner with her to candy the bugs and put them in an ice cream. So it's crickets and ants and a matcha ice cream. And we, over the years, have become her biggest customer. And so to me, that that is the greatest honor to, to work together, to shine a light on her story, her culture, participate in some small way in her success. Um, you know, th those are those are the the um, those are the moments that I'm most proud of. So, you know, to go back to your question, we think about every month we have a new menu and, and what do what stories do we do? What stories do we want to tell and what do we think is important and who have we met over the year that that have really inspired us? And then um, we sit down and we work and we're talking like a year in advance. And so we uh, get to know the person really, really well. Um, understand, you know, how, it's not just throwing your ingredients in our ice cream. How do we craft something together that reflects what you do? Um, and then how do you have a voice in the way that, you know, the ice cream takes form, how it's marketed, um, how it, 
how it shows up on, you know, in all the ways, social media, all the stuff nowadays, um, so that it's an ongoing relationship um, and, and not just sort of a flash in the pan where, you know, I sometimes see collaborations where you're like, gosh, that, that was really one-sided. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and it's got to be like a really big win for both. Yeah, I think I, I love what you said earlier about The Rock and that, that it's not a monetary reason. It's something that there has to be alignment. And when you find that alignment, you realize that, I mean, it, it's really what we do in the hospitality business. We're not in the transaction business. I'm not trying to sell one rack of ribs to one person one time and make money off of that. I'm trying to teach somebody that we love what we're doing. We're trying to provide a memorable moment to a stranger that becomes a family member for life that generationally that they'll want to bring their kids to that they'll want to bring their kids to. So it's something that this is a part of their family. This is a part of the, the village routine. You know, it doesn't matter how big the city is. We're all villages and we all are creatures of habit. How do we create these community spaces, these things that you're talking about? One of the things I'd love for you to talk about since you are one of the experts is understanding that thinking outside of just selling ice cream in the village, you do a phenomenal job of shipping your ice cream nationwide. You do a phenomenal job of thinking differently and understanding that, well, I can also sell a candle that smells like a waffle cone. <laughs> if, you go, if you go to the Salt and Straw website, I, I, we're going to put links into the show notes, but please go and see all the incredible different ways that they are finding to give back to their community because you have so many loyal fans that support you, but it's also a way to bring more revenue in to a traditionally low margin business. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Um, uh, the ice cream business has always been a tough one. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think when I set out to get this started, um, I knew we'd have to think a little bit differently. Um, and uh, that has served us really, really well. Uh, you know, the line that you described in Little Italy, we're so honored to be part of that incredible community. Um, and we try to earn it every single day. Um, and, and earn, you know, folks showing up. Um, and the, the, that retail experience is the heart and soul of what we do. Um, unlike most all of our competitors, we don't sell in grocery stores. Um, we like to keep a direct line with our, you know, our mission and our guests and our customers. Um, so we decided, well, we'll ship ice cream. Obviously, you can have it delivered to your house, you know, instant delivery um, yeah. is a really cool way to expand our business. But all of these businesses, we we control that experience and, and that relationship. So, um, and, and for us, you know, we've been able to, <laughs> I often say if there is a harder, more expensive way to do something, we will find it. Um, <laughs> us too, us too. <laughs> They're expensive lessons, but the more lessons we learn, the, the I guess yeah. the shorter the learning curve, the longer we go. As long as we can stay in the race, we're still good. Yeah, don't tell our investors and bankers yeah, that. But, um, correct. But I say that because um, we put in a little bit more than people expect, and I think we get a little bit more back. You know, that's why you see the response that you do, and it's it's allowed us to take some risks and develop our business model in a little bit different way. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think from a distribution perspective, um, as you hit on, and then from a product perspective, I mean, that's another relationship that we had with a local um, company called, uh, um, 
Oh my gosh. Now I'm, <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> we'll, let, we'll edit, we'll edit it out. Just. Uh, okay. Will you please? You th- oh, it's a, we will. Uh, imaginary authors. Oh my gosh. That was. Okay. So here funny. we go. Ready? This one's for Stover. A little company called. Oh my God. Does this happen to you? It happens to me all the time. Authors, I can't. Okay, one more time. Ready? Here we go. A little company called Imaginary Authors, and they are a perfume maker in Portland. And we met them. And if you leave our shops, you'll often hear people say, "Like, what is that smell? Something smells really sweet, and it's the smell of waffle cones. It just sticks." It's amazing. I get home, and my kids are like, "You smell like the ice cream store, mom." And and so uh, we had this idea to work with them to replicate that as a as a perfume and a candle. But it was again from this relationship with a brilliant um, local artisan here in Portland. That's why we did it. Um, born out of that, you know, that idea. And and it's just sort of in a nice way expanding what we do. I I always say um, when someone comes across our ice cream or products, they should just smile and go, "Of course they did that." That's so nice, you know, and and so that's what we want. I'd love for you to look back. I mean, for, for us, we, we, we opened up our business in 2008. The first iPhone came out in 2007. And when we look at marketing and the landscape of how much it's changed from when you were at Starbucks with 30 stores and what they're at, I don't think 300,000 employees, something just absolutely phenomenal. You were working with Howard Schultz to where you are now with your social media team and understanding video and that you guys have this incredible Instagram account with 300. 182,000 followers. You've got a TikTok account with 51,000. Understanding the power of storytelling on these social platforms. Can you talk about this this evolution of of where you where where when you started to the principles that you see still moving forward because everything changes. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I know. I I feel like we've made it so hard on ourselves <laughs> with all these different ways to communicate, but it's so fun. Yes. Uh, you know, we've never uh, taken any sort of traditional marketing approach with advertising or things like that. We've always relied on our storytelling, um, you know, primarily through the media. I think within six months of starting the company, we were named as like Oprah's favorite thing and, wow. and featured, you know, in the Wall Street Journal as the new um, standard to beat. And and I don't say that to brag. It's more just like people really responded to this storytelling. And so as we think about social media, what I always work with our team on is, um, you know, how do we continue that spirit of, of, of sharing what we're doing um, as if it's a friend? So, you know, if, if you click onto my social media, which is not that great, I'm embarrassed to say, but I'm not trying to sell you anything, Sean. I mean, you're a friend of mine and, you know, I want to share what's going on with my family and what I'm excited about with my hobbies. And so to take that same philosophy as a brand um, and, and let people develop that relationship uh, has been a guiding principle for us. I love it. I mean, I think it's it's such an encouragement and I love when founders, CEOs take the time to understand that the brand is important, but also your story is important. You know, your story of who you are as a mom, who you are as a leader in the community, the things that you do, those things matter. You know, we, we tell we tell restaurant owners, hospitality professionals all the time, it's be the show, not the commercial. Mm. Nobody wants a commercial. No one wants to be advertised to. 
Yeah. We want we want to to lean into somebody's story. And the more that we can connect with the local baker, the local ice cream shop maker, the local barbecue pit master, the more that it resonates with us and the more that we're top of mind and that we, you know, are encouraged to go out and support those types of people. I'd love for you to talk about your opportunity to be in Disneyland, your opportunity to be in Coachella. Why are those things important? And how do you protect the brand when you go into high volume um, places like that? Yeah. Wow. Disney was a pretty uh, crazy thing to have <laughs> land in our laps. I think we had four stores, four ice cream shops um, when we got this call asking if we would come in and meet with the Disneyland team. And um, the wow. man was running the whole thing um, was a customer at our Abbott Kinney store in LA. And so that's how he knew who we were. And there was a space coming up available for an ice cream shop. And so there was going to be a, you know, kind of a bid of, of different companies going in to present. And I think we were one of three that made kind of to the final phase where we got to go in and Little did I know, it was a, you can imagine at Disney, it was a huge room of people. And um, little did I know, most people in the room were kind of annoyed that we were there because they all thought, what is this little company doing? They can't handle <laughs> this. You're wasting our time. <laughs> and my team and I rolled in there, you know, with our full force and um, told all of our stories. And um, again, I think what was supposed to be a 45 minute meeting went on for almost an hour and a half. And by the end of it, they awarded us the business. So they completely changed their story. And they said um, that they the two things that really moved them was one, this idea that people would be coming from all over the world and they would get to learn about and connect with local artisans in you know yeah. Southern California and on the West Coast and um, how different that would be. And when we developed our menu, we... Um, we were almost going to change that just at Disney and make it more mainstream. And the team at Disney actually said to us, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Stay. And we want the same menu you have up yeah. the street. And, and, um, and we thought, oh gosh, how are people going to respond to this? And everyone said, told us, you know, folks, the, the, the customers there, the folks, they're not going to care about all that. And so you're just really wasting your time. And, Maybe they're not going to like these these flavors that are so different. Um, and so we were really shaking in our boots. And um, that that insect flavor I described earlier was on the menu when we opened. <laughs> it sold more. That's awesome. In Disney, that's awesome. In Disney, it sold more there as like a percent of sales than anywhere else. So people wow. they liked it. They want to learn about um you know, these stories of, of what goes into a product and, and, and what's local. And, um, so that, that idea, it worked and people really showed up and they were passionate about it. And the team at Disney said that we're, um, they think we are the busiest ice cream shop in the world based wow. on all the ice cream shops they know of. So uh, I would say that people out there um, kind of in a, on a mainstream basis, I guess you could call it, they want this. People want to connect on this level. And as you said earlier, if you're willing to put a little more effort into it and do the, the hard way, um, people will reward you and respond to that. The other interesting thing about opening in Disney is, um, uh, well, when we were going through the negotiations, um, we always say that uh, people show up to our shops, it's 49% about the ice cream and 51% about the experience that they have when they're there, which is 
primarily, you know, due to our great team. And yeah. um, so we were negotiating this deal and negotiating a deal with Disney is really hard. <laughs> They're very tough. <laughs> um, and our head of operations, Casey, kept saying to me, you know, Kim, are they going to be okay with the way our people look? And I was like, Casey, I don't have time to talk about this. I'm trying to get the financials together. I don't know what you, you know, what do you mean? It really didn't even occur to me. She kept coming at me. And finally I said, okay, I'll ask them. And so I brought it up during a meeting we were having one day and they said, no, it's not okay. Tattoos, piercing, hair colors, like we don't allow that in downtown Disneyland. And we said, oh gosh, we have a big problem because that is central. Like being able to show up and be who you are and be express yourself. And it's so important to our brand wow. and we can't change that. And you, they, they came to the table and negotiated with us and figured out a way to make that happen. So we were the first brand in downtown Disneyland to be able to allow our team members to show up as who they were and come to find out Disney was really nervous about it. They were really wow. Um, and after we opened and we had such great success, they changed the policy for the rest of the, the brands um, in downtown Disneyland. And so you know, I think really staying true to that feeling of um, of community comes through in so many different ways and holding that North Star is, can have a big, powerful impact. I I'm, I can't tell you how grateful I am you just shared that Disney story because it's, if you think of the greatest storytelling companies and brands on earth, you're talking about Disney and the fact that they've gotten so big and they have so many layers of things that they need to do to run a successful company that sometimes they need the little shop in Portland to remind them of the story. Like, but you have to go in to those boardrooms being true to yourself holding true to your brand, holding true to everything that you care about, knowing that everybody else is telling you that this might not be the way, but right. the fact that you stayed true to that, now you have one of the, I mean, for them to tell you, it's one of the busiest, the busiest ice cream shop in Disney. I mean, what an incredible, incredible accomplishment. And I mean, this is only the beginning. So okay. I, we talked about the the successes. I want to talk about something that's probably a little bit difficult to talk about um, because this is an entrepreneur show and uh, we learn through lessons and stories, but we were supposed to record um, this podcast on November 21st. And on November 21st, you had a fire at your headquarters and we were unfortunately unable to record, but more fortunately, no one got hurt. Um, I know you've had some struggles um, at the headquarters, and I would uh, like to know if you'd be willing to talk about the struggles and what you're doing as a business owner, because I think it's very admirable, the things that we don't think that we're going into business for, but business owners, entrepreneurs can change the world if they're willing to put the work in. Yeah. Um, gosh, what a day. It made me tear up just hearing you say that and remembering that day. Um uh, yeah, so we're, um, our, our kitchen, our, where we manufacture all of our ice cream and where our kind of support center is, um, is in inner, the inner city of Portland. So right just smack uh, on the east side, right across from downtown. And like a lot of cities on the west coast, Portland's had its struggles um, coming through the pandemic. Um, and this little pocket of town has gotten hit really, really hard. And we have a lot of crime going on here. And um, 
I, I hate to even say it in such a happy conversation, but you know, I, I think the kind of final straws for me, and this is after years of work, trying to work with the city to get help. Um, one of our team members, when they were coming into work, actually got held up at gunpoint um, with a gun in his face. Um, <laughs> it's really hard to even talk about, um, but, uh, uh, not even, and, and, and we went through all kinds of gymnastics to make sure that the team felt safe after that and take a bunch of precautions. And not even a week later, there was a big explosion outside of our kitchen, um, uh, an RV that had been there for months and months and had been reported um, uh, that needed to move, <laughs> um, exploded and blew up and was gone in a matter of minutes. It was a major explosion and it was in the middle of the night and our team was working and the whole facility went dark and they saw this explosion and it's right where they walk into work and park and um, just not safe and really scary. And um, so that afternoon I went to city hall and and met with the commissioners here in Portland, their, their staff um, to talk about this problem. And I said, gosh, we've been talking about this for years and I, I don't know what to do, you guys. I just, I feel like it's irresponsible of me to keep this business going here if it's not safe. And I'm telling these, these team members that it's safe and I don't know if I can tell them that anymore. Um, and it's gonna be millions of dollars for me to move, but I don't know what else to do. And uh, I was in tears. I was just begging them for help, please help. Um, and unfortunately, I guess, but maybe fortunately, that story leaked out to the press. Um, and so before I knew it, I was caught in the middle of a pretty big firestorm of, you know, this message that Sandstraw was going to leave Portland um, and it wasn't safe. Um, and it was not the sort of positive results oriented <laughs> message that I like to I like to, to portray. So it was really uncomfortable for me, but I could not believe how quickly and earnestly um, our different city, uh, state, um, and even federal um, elected officials showed up to talk about what was going on um, and, and uh, I, in, in like a matter of four days, we had a big summit with hundreds of people in the room talking about, you know, how, how can we humanely treat the folks um, who need our help and also keep our employees safe. And I think what I was most moved by was the number of entrepreneurs and business owners, big and small, who called me to say that their employees came to them um, to, to, to say how how much they appreciated it. Just kind of having the voice of our employees citywide who were showing up to work and not feeling safe. And so um, I've learned a lot over the past several weeks and in, in partnering with our different government entities on you know, some programs and solutions. And um, I, I don't mean to sound Pollyanna, but I feel really hopeful. Like we have some good plans in place and, um, and we're making some good traction. So uh, you know, it's important for business to be at the table, uh, creating these solutions. And uh, for whatever reason, this kind of gave me a window of opportunity to, to have a seat at the table and, and help um, in any way that I can, because I love this city. I don't want to move. I don't want to leave. I came here to start the company here. And um, I think we're going to I think we're going to get there. 
I, I really appreciate you, your honesty, your vulnerability and understanding once again, back to story. Um, the good story vibrates the fastest, but sometimes so does the bad story. And I think as business owners and leaders, it's easy to think that we're alone. Um, you know, we open in a very difficult part in San Diego. We have uh, not necessarily high crime, but, you know, people, they say that we're off the beaten path and, you know, it takes, it takes a village. You know, we have to take care of our employees that work there and we have to make them feel safe. And ultimately they're relying on me to tell them that they're safe. But I also have to realize that we're not the only business. And if I get loud about the things that we need to our local government and our local politicians, the better job that I do doing that, I can inspire other entrepreneurs and business owners to also speak up to join the fight. And I, I really, I really hope the best for for Salt and Straw. I hope this is something that's a you know a turning point for for what they're able to do uh, in your area of Portland. Um, it's an inspiration to anybody that's going to listen to this that is a business owner to know that uh, you're not alone. You don't have to wait for the fire. You know that that's kind of the the problem that we have as as business owners is it's always you know we don't want it to be the last straw. We want it to be, you know, we need to get louder before before that last straw comes. But if you do, um, you have so many incredible things that you guys are building. I mean, are you are you at a franchising point? Are these franchise stores or are these all company owned stores? No, we are company owned. Amazing. So, yeah, wow. we're, we're all company owned. Um, so how many have- franchise people are knocking down your doors <laughs> <laughs> every single day? <laughs> I don't know. Our business is so uh, complicated. I just don't, I don't, it's, I, I, I don't know how we would even do that, but yeah. yeah. So we, we have 30 shops um, Amazing. and we'll open, you know, a good handful next year, including a new market, Las Vegas, which we Sweet. announced recently. And um, we're in Vegas. Well, we're opening in a new, not on the strip. Um, so out in the city at a, a place called the uncommons. So it's sort of, pretty central um uh and it's like nothing that they've ever done in vegas before they I mean the architecture is beautiful um and lots of outdoor community spaces uh, you'll have to go visit it so we will absolutely yeah, excited to be there that's amazing so um every single week on wednesday friday uh, at 10 a.m pacific time 1 p.m eastern time we're on the social audio app clubhouse so any of you that are watching this podcast listening to this podcast please come onto the app get on stage talk about your restaurant talk about your hospitality your whatever you're doing in sales whatever you're doing in marketing content creation um, we want to create a space where we all learn from each other but uh, please join us on on Wednesdays we also do a social shout out for those people that are coming on stage so this week's shout out goes to Devin Eichler of the crafty cow so you can follow him at crafty cow um, wi he's got three restaurants and he is uh doing this smartphone storytelling he started his tiktok channel he's telling the story of his restaurants of being an entrepreneur devin we're super proud of you but uh kim i wanted to give you an opportunity who on your team would you like to shout out for going above and beyond i know you have an entire team but it's somebody that gets shouted out on entrepreneur for for doing the things uh true to your brand true to salt and straw oh gosh i'm gonna say uh, a woman named um, megan who's running our supply chain and okay. to most people in the world that might sound boring <laughs> But as I said, we, uh, we, uh, if there's a harder, more expensive way to do it, we, we will find it. And Megan is the uh, person who catches all of that. And 
Um, I mean, there's no piece of equipment you can buy off the shelf that will manufacture our ice cream because what we do is so special and unique. Um, and because we change our flavors so quickly, uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's literally impossible. And she thinks about things in a creative way and takes the impossible and these like wacky ideas and turns them into a reality. Um, and she's able to sort of suspend <laughs> what doesn't work and find what does work. And, um, and she's incredible. We're so lucky to have her. And she was the person who was there at three in the morning when the fire um, happened and, and um, ensured that the, every single person on the team was safe and, and got home safely. And so she does it all. That's so awesome. So what, uh, what kind of parting wisdom would you have for anybody that, that is in the business that, that wants to learn how to better tell their story? Ah, to better tell their story. You know, I think, um, you've brought it up a couple of times today. Uh, I'm not afraid to get real vulnerable. <laughs> and, uh, I think we spend so much time protecting ourselves and trying to make things look perfect. And, that's not where the beauty is and where the learnings are. And the more we can get real and say what's hard and where we failed and what we're struggling with, um, it's just, it's more important than ever. Um, we're not alone, um, especially as entrepreneurs, you know, it can feel really lonely, but um, I think if you open up and share what's going on with you, people will meet you there and, and do the same. And it's a better way to live. I love it. So if you guys want to connect with me, it's at Sean P. Walchef, S-H-A-W-N-P-W-A-L-C-H-E-F. And that's all the platforms, TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. We're going to put links to Salt and Straw, all their socials. Please follow them. Please visit their website. You can follow Kimberly Malik on Instagram, and that is at Kimberly Malik. Uh, Kim, it has been a true honor. Seriously, this is this is the reason why we we're so grateful for Toast for giving us this platform to to share these stories. This is, uh, I mean, this is the beginning. This is only this is 2023, and you know the uh, the opportunity that businesses have because of the internet to share their story. You know, your love of of storytelling, your love of ice cream, what you do with collaborations, um, what you're doing for your community. This is just the beginning of something, something so amazing. So thank you so much. We can't wait to, to meet you in person one day. I'm definitely visiting the, the Disneyland. Whenever somebody goes to Disneyland, please go to salt and straw tag <laughs> us on social that you went there. Um, and uh, we hope you have an amazing day. Uh, stay curious, get involved and don't be afraid to ask for help. Thank you guys. We'll catch you next week. And a special thank you to our title sponsor, Toast. Toast is the primary technology partner that we use at our restaurant, Cali Barbecue. It is also the primary technology partner that so many of the guests have shared with us on this show. People like Sam, the cooking guy, Stacy Poonkinney, Jeff Alexander. So many times the guests tell us that they're using Toast when we didn't even know that going into the interview. That is why we are so grateful that they sponsor this show. We want you to win. You that listen to this show, we want you to improve your digital hospitality. Toast is built for restaurants and it's built for you. Toast is the restaurant first platform that's built for your needs, whatever your size, concept, or ambitions. Improve your bottom line with a customizable platform that's easy to learn, use, and grow with. And it meets you where you are with all the right tools for your price point. If you have any questions about Toast, please DM me at Sean P. Walchef, S-H-A-W-N-P-W-A-L-C-H-E-F. 
I will get you the link to the right toast contact in your market. It's so important that if you listen to this show that you win. We want you to be on this show eventually. Let us know that you heard the show, you heard about toast, you implemented toast, you did a toast unboxing in your restaurant. Talk to us about how you've impacted your village, your city, your community. Share your toast story with us. DM me today to learn more and be sure to check out toast.